Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 231. Alaska cruises aren't anything like Caribbean cruises when it comes to what to wear. With that, figuring out what to pack for your cruise will likely result in a vastly different luggage contents than any cruise to Mexico or St. Thomas. This week, we turn to an Alaska cruise and packing expert, Sherry from Cruise Tips TV, to help us figure out what are the essential items to pack for a cruise to Alaska. Here we go. Perhaps you've been on a lot of cruises before and think you've got a pretty good handle on how to pack for a cruise vacation, but packing for an Alaska cruise? Well, it's an entirely different experience. Packing for an Alaska cruise is much different than packing for other destinations like the Caribbean. Given its northerly position and varied geography from mountains and oceans to glaciers and tundra, you can experience several microclimates in a short amount of time, which can mean extreme temperature changes in one place and mild conditions in the next. When packing for an Alaska cruise, you have to think about formal nights... What do you wear for cocktail evenings, casual days, swimming, sitting by the pool? And on top of that, you've also got to figure out what you're going to be wearing when you go on your land adventures and excursions and heading into Alaska towns for shopping and dining. As you can already tell, that's a lot to consider. While I'm by no means a packing expert, I do know someone who is as knowledgeable at packing as she is dishing out great cruise tips. She is the packingista for cruise fans and an incredible source of cruising knowledge. It's Sherry from CruiseTipsTV.com. Welcome back, Sherry. Thank you. I like that title. I will take it. Pacanista is going on my business card. <laughs> Love it. Use it. Use it with. Use it with pride. It's a. It's a, It's an honorable title, certainly. And you've deserved. You deserve it. <laughs> Aw, thanks. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. And I wanted. I, I brought Sherry on here, and I got to be honest with the listeners. This episode is totally self-serving. I thought it's a great episode idea, but I'm going to Alaska for the very first time in June. It's a Royal Caribbean blog group cruise, my very first time ever going to Alaska. And we, you know, now that it's 2018, we're starting to look at cruises and the new year and our cruise is coming around. And I said, man, I have no idea what to pack. So I decided to bring Sherry on here to talk about packing for Alaska. And I hope it helps other po- people as well pack for uh, cruising to Alaska. Because, you know, I don't, whether you're going on Royal Caribbean or any cruise line, really, it's just a completely different uh, mindset, really, I think, when you're packing for Alaska versus I, really any other itinerary you can think of. It definitely is different. It's it's you know it's tricky because you always end up with more stuff too. Yeah, well, that, that's a that's the nuance of like every cruise that uh, that that we always say we always end up with way more stuff than we than we ever started with, and we always. Uh, Sherry, I, I tell you, I always joke that if if there's ever an issue with the with the economy of the, of this country and they need to stimulate the economy, just give everybody free cruises because every cruise we go on, my family immediately heads to the nearest shopping plaza to to buy all new clothes because all those other clothes we bought before, Sherry, they're no good. You can't wear the same clothes again. They're no they're good. Uh, no, you gotta always buy new clothes and new stuff, new luggage. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's the cruise wardrobe. I mean, that's I think that's part of the fun, though. It's all the prep. That's part of the joy. It's not just the cruise. It's the prep. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about that and talking about what to a pack, what's packed for an Alaska cruise. Um, where do you start, really? What's, what's the best way to, to wrap my head around packing for Alaska? Uh, I think you have to kind of first expect that it's going to be totally different than packing for something like a beachy cruise, a Caribbean cruise. So you have to think about different gear. You have to think about the fact that the clothing you're going to take is going to be a lot more bulky. The shoes you pack are probably going to be a lot more bulky and then kind of break it down from there. So we like to look at it in just two simple categories, clothing and non-clothing, and then go from there. Okay. I like that. That, That's uh, very simple. And for 
uh, for someone like me, that's understandable. Okay, I'm good. I'm on board. So far. <laughs> on board. I love it. So let's talk about the let's talk about clothing, I guess, first, then move on to the non-clothing. Okay, sounds good. So the key for Alaska is you you know you've heard it a million times. It's layering because, like you mentioned in your intro, it's got all these different microclimates. You don't even know what to expect most of the time on embarkation day. For example, if you're cruising out of Seattle, it could be 80 degrees one day, and a week later it could be raining and 45 degrees. So how do you plan for this stuff? So it's really all about the layering, and most people keep it pretty casual in Alaska. So you're going to see jeans. You're going to see t-shirts. You're going to see lots of sneakers, tennis shoes, whatever you like to call them. And then people kind of layering on top of that. So once you've got those basics down, you basically want to go with, you know, taking it from the t-shirt to a warm layer on top of that. So a lot of people do something like a fleece or hoodies, just good old fashioned basic hoodies. And then on top of that, you need to plan a rain layer for everybody in the family. So that's kind of the, the basics for the clothing. But Beyond that, you have to think about things like shoes, too. So we mentioned sneakers, right, which people are going to wear tennis shoes mostly around the ship. But if it rains and you're out on an excursion, you have to think about something kind of water resistant. So I don't know if you've heard of these before, but there's these these boots that we bought for our last cruise called Sperry Duck Boots. Have you ever heard of them? I've heard of Sperry. Uh, I'm not sure yeah. I'm familiar with their entire line, but yeah, interesting. So they're kind of like a, they're an insulated boot that's kind of like a, um, kind of rubbery all around the outside, but they're not so hot. They're not like something that you would wear into the snow. So something like that, or even kind of a water resistant hiking boot is probably enough, but but the shoes are pretty critical too, because if you're, let's say you're going to Mendenhall Glacier for the day in Juneau and you want to hike out to the glacier. Well, if it starts raining, your sneakers are going to be dirty and they're going to be soaking wet because it's raining. And if you're traveling with kids, which you and I both do, they're going to end up in puddles. So you always have to think about the shoes too. And unfortunately, you kind of need, a, you know, you need more shoes than if you were in the Caribbean. If you were going to the Caribbean, you'd probably be packing a pair of sneakers, your flip-flops, and then your dinner shoes, right? But yeah. on an Alaska cruise, it's probably a good idea if you can to have t- two pair of daytime shoes and preferably something water resistant. Um, another thing that I learned recently, which I had never, for some reason on our first few Alaska cruises, I never picked this up, but when you're going on super active activities, like, you know, activities where you're going to get wet kayaking, maybe going to a glacier, maybe going on a boat excursion, they actually recommend that you wear synthetic fabrics underneath your rain layer that don't hold moisture. So you'd actually avoid things like cotton pants and jeans and need to wear more athletic and synthetic things that don't hold moisture in. So that's like you said, another, just another layer of the complication here. You have to think about what activities you're doing. Now, obviously, if you're just walking around town in a Ketchikan for the day, you're fine in jeans, a rain layer, sneaker, and, you know, a backpack with your hoodie in it. But that's um, that's always something to think about, too. And I promise I'm almost done. We'll just go over a couple more little things here with the clothing, but it's complicated. Um, One other thing to think about is glacier days, because on the day that you're viewing the glacier, it's probably going to be the coldest day of your cruise. You're, you know, you're cruising down a fjord and you're approaching this massive block of ice and the temperature drops dramatically. And then add to that they usually do this in the early morning hours. Most ships make their passage to a glacier like, you know, 6, 7 a.m. So that's probably the day that you're going to pull out the big guns. You're going to pull out the, um, you know, the fluffy warm jacket. A lot of people like down jackets, maybe a scarf, maybe a beanie, maybe gloves. Depends on what area of the country you're from and what your tolerance is for cold. But 
that's kind of the last thing that you have to think about with clothing is that, you know, the, that one or two, those one or two chilly days when you're going to be, you're going to be a little colder than usual and you need to have some accessories with you. Absolutely. Now, one of the things you mentioned and something I've heard uh, time and time and time and time, time again is the layering. But the uh, one of the interesting things that I wanted to ask you about was also when, on the top layer because, I mean, you know, T-shirt on the bottom, hoodie underneath on top of that or a sweater, sure, makes sense. But that jacket, I've heard a lot of different opinions on what kind of jacket you need because a, a typical windbreaker isn't necessarily what a lot of people recommend and that you need something a little more specialized uh, to be able to handle, like you said earlier, the the moisture that you're going to encounter, as well as the temperature changes. Is there a kind of jacket or a kind of uh, uh, outer layer that I should be looking for for an Alaska cruise? Yeah, I think you hit on it too when you said windbreaker. So what you want to do is avoid the windbreaker, but find something that's about a windbreaker weight that's a rain jacket. So if you were to go onto Amazon, for example, and look at North Face and Columbia rain jackets, you'd find a relatively thin but totally waterproof jacket that you can layer cozy stuff under. Now, if you're if you're the type of person who runs really cold, you're probably going to want to purchase a second jacket, which is more like a down jacket. You know, the type that people wear mostly, probably more on the East Coast than where I live here in California, but the type that kind of go down to hip length that look kind of quilted, that can be really good if you run really chilly. But a lot of people will avoid buying the second jacket. They'll buy the really solid rain jacket. Usually it is Columbia or North Face. Believe me, you'll see everybody wearing North Face on your cruise. It's actually kind of funny. And then underneath that, they'll put a really hardy zip-up fleece or a hoodie and, you know, accessorize from there. But usually the fleece and the rain layer for most days of your cruise will be warm enough. You can always add, you know, a long sleeve t-shirt under that. Absolutely. All right. That makes total sense. I like that. And certainly I think that those types of jackets that you were mentioning, the North Face type jackets, there's many companies that generate those now, and I think that that's a uh, that's a really good suggestion for for uh, for that. And not only that, I mean those kind of jackets are uh, you know can lend themselves quite easily to other climates for obviously other trips that you may be taking, and uh, it it packs certainly a lot better than some of like just a traditional heavy jacket. Exactly, you can just roll it right up. There you go. I like that. So uh, non-clothing must-packs, what would you say is something that I definitely need to consider for an Alaska cruise that I might not have considered for a Caribbean cruise? Probably would want to start with something like binoculars, a small, lightweight, packable set of binoculars, especially if you have a balcony cabin, are probably an essential because the chances are you're going to see more wildlife. So that would be my number one recommendation. Don't leave home without it, but also don't buy a pair that are too large that you're resistant to pack. I've seen people do that too, where they get something too heavy and then they don't want to, they don't want to lug it around. So that's something to think about. I think that a good, really super lightweight rain resistant backpack for shore days can be great as well, because you may be, you know, trekking around with your family and need to pop those essentials, the water bottles, the, you know, the extra layers of clothing in that backpack, but you want something that is rain resistant because it's kind of funny. I don't know why this is, but I've noticed on Alaska cruises, people don't really use umbrellas very often. They generally rely on their rain layer. So if you, you know, if you want to avoid taking an umbrella with you, which most people do, they usually just rely on a hat, like a baseball hat, and the hood of their rain layer, then make sure your backpack is going to protect your valuables, your wallet, your, you know, your camera, and all that stuff. Um, a couple of other things to think about. Sometimes you could need bug spray. Now, this is not 
This is not when you, again, when you step off and you're walking around the town of Juneau, you do not need bug spray. But if you're venturing out into the wilderness at all, like zip lining or going on a bear walk or, you know, maybe even going on a little whitewater rafting trip, I would definitely recommend the bug spray. We definitely got hit by some hardcore mosquitoes on our, our last cruise to Alaska. I was, my neck looked like it got attacked by vampires. So I think that can be a really good idea. <laughs> um, of course, other things like a good water bottle for short days. If you would like to bring your own water bottle from home, refill it in the buffet, that can be a great thing to pack with you as well because it can get warm and you'll need that water. That's, that's something to think about. And probably lastly, I mean, we could go on and on with all kinds of fun, frivolous ideas I have about packing. But I think the practical and last one is probably to really give some thought to your camera. Um, you know, best camera you can afford may not necessarily come into play for Alaska because you could be thinking about, you know, the fact that you're hauling in on a flight across the country and that might not be practical. In fact, we'll take that giant DSLR with a huge lens, but also you could be dealing with rain. So if you don't want to expose your camera to any rain, precipitation, anything like that, then maybe leave it at home. I mean, I, the other thing too is thinking about this. I, I can't believe the cameras on the iPhone 8, the 8 Plus, and the 10 these days are, you know, right up there with the best. So I'd say give some thought to the camera, pack what's best for you, but maybe don't overdo it unless you're a professional photographer and you plan on being out on your balcony, you know, searching for eagles to photograph. You you might want to keep it light. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I just have delusions of being of a grid photographer, but I know when I come over, like, oh, God, these photos of my feet came out terrible. <laughs> and we know that's not true. Your photos are awesome. Oh, thank you. There's a lot of grease on the lens, but thank you. I appreciate that. Um, one of the things I like, I'm glad you mentioned the backpack because I totally would have just been like, I got backpacks. Those are fine. I bring those everywhere. Mm -hmm. But the water resistant thing is a really good point about that because I think that's going to be the, the big difference. It, correct me if I'm wrong. Weather-wise... It's not that it rains all the time. It's just there's a lot of moisture you're going to encounter, whether it's mist or obviously falling precipitation or even just mm -hmm. like the ice melting and whatnot, right? Is that, is that an accurate summary of how it kind of works? Uh, it kind of depends on the type, the time of year. I've been on Alaska cruises in in mid-May where I expected it to be freezing and rainy and it didn't rain or even mist the whole week. But you're right. It can, it could mist all day and not really ever rain and you're just dealing with kind of you know, a soupy mess, but yeah. I think you could probably also get one of those backpack covers, some kind of a cover for your existing backpacks. So you're not buying something new. That could be an option too. But again, it's one more thing to pack. Okay. I've got a question for you. Compression bags. What is a compression bag and do I need one? Uh-huh. So there's a couple of different types of compression bags. There's compression packing cubes, which are like a normal packing cube that have an extra set of zippers around the edge that help you squish down your items. And then there are plastic compression bags, which are like giant Ziploc bags that you either use a pump or a vacuum cleaner to get the extra air out of. So you might want to consider them for Alaska if it's not going to create too much extra weight. Because the downside is when you take your fluffy down jacket and your wife's fluffy down jacket and your kid's shoes and all this stuff and you squish it, it becomes really heavy and suddenly you've got a 90-pound bag. So they can be great if you want to compress your puffy jackets, but you have to kind of use caution with them. I use them because we take our own pillows on a cruise. Um, I don't generally leave my pillows in hotel rooms. Just joking. I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> but, All right, I did that um, one time. I, I that was a low blow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ouch. 
out. No, I don't know. I'm really just more of a sensitive sleeper. So that's more why we started it. But it can be so nice if you're if you're taking those fluffy down jackets, they are a lifesaver. And people always ask like, okay, so how do you get them back home though, right? You take all yeah. the air out. Well, we actually pack our little pump in our suitcase. And I've also heard of people, I think I actually heard this on your podcast. I heard of someone borrowing the vacuum cleaner on the cruise ship. Did I hear that from you? I yeah. think I did. And yeah, they took that. Didn't they borrow the little hall yeah, vacuum? And, yep. They and, they, and they use that for that. I, I, yeah. I guess it works for them. It works. It works for them. So it's, you know, it's a controversial topic, but can be really nice if you're just trying to defluffify some of your baggage. I like that word. I'm using that one. Defluffify. And if you say if you say it fast <laughs> enough, it sounds like you're from the South. I do declare I'm going to defluffify. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, and real quick, I have to defend myself. I don't. I'm not defending myself. It was really dumb. But this, the what Sherry was alluding to was on one cruise. I was like, I'm gonna bring my own pillow on this cruise. So that because I never liked the pillows, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finally sleep in in style. And so the night before, as I always do, I like I recommend for everybody. You know, I went to a hotel the night before the cruise, and I promptly left my pillow in the hotel. I didn't realize it until I got back on on the ship, and then that was the last I ever saw that pillow. Oh, I love the part though where you're wife told you to go get it i thought that was (laughs) she said go get it i was like i'm not going back to get it (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i think i might have gone back to fetch my precious pillow i don't know i know i was just but it was already it was so far gone at that point like it wasn't like i just i didn't like step out into the parking lot and realize i didn't realize i was on the ship so i had gone back on get into my car drive back and be like remember that room that i stay in i left my (laughs) pillow in there sure you did sir <laughs> Actually, sounds incredibly depressing to have to go back to a hotel to get a pillow. You're right. I I yeah. would never do it. I left my pillow in I, the room. Can I get it back? <laughs> <laughs> I totally stand in your corner and I apologize for teasing you. That's not right. No, I deserve the teasing and the shaming. It was I'm <laughs> certainly old enough to remember to pack my stuff out of my room. This is like typical Matt, hundred percent. Like my wife. Like whenever I'm traveling with my wife, we're always like, I'm always like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on, we got everything. Let's go. It's fine. And whenever I'm traveling with myself, like in this case, you know, I think I got it all under control and I left, left my pillow. And that was the same trip. I also forgot my set sail pass. So I, I freely admit, not in front of my wife's – in my wife's <laughs> presence, that she is a critical part to making sure I bring everything on board. And I only say this because I know she does listen to this podcast, so it's okay. She's very uh, well organized. Yes, absolutely. All right, back on back on track here. So, one of the, speaking of my wife, actually, I've got a question for you that that I want to talk about. Which, of course, is you know, you're in Alaska. It's like you go into the glacier and doing all these things. It sounds like amazing and kayaking and trip of a lifetime, right? But I know my family, and within five minutes, I'm cold. My feet are wet. My elbow hurts. My other elbow hurts. Mm-hmm. I'm cold. So, how do you stay? How do you how do you stay dry and warm? Uh, on this, uh, when you're when you're exploring someplace like Alaska, oh man, it is so not easy, Matt. We blew it last time in the shoe department with our son, and I have to tell you, we only packed him sneakers. They have like a mesh layer around the edges, and he was in puddles immediately. So I think the best thing you can do is put some time and energy, and maybe a little bit of money, into getting them the right. Um, I don't want to say rain boots because that's not really what I'm going for, but they need an outdoor waterproof shoe that is comfortable for them and it will save you a massive amount of grief. Maybe even two, since you know that they're going to be okay on the top, right? They've got a rain jacket. Maybe a little extra pair of pants for them in the backpack would be a good idea. 
and uh, you know a little a little pair of mittens in case they get cold. But I hear you. I mean, that's just what kids do. They're gonna yeah. they, they they want it their way and they want to go where <laughs> they want to go, and that's just the way they roll. Yeah. Do you do you bring any of those like? Uh, granted, I use this more like when we used to go skiing as a kids. You know those little uh, those little I don't know how to describe them, those little packets that you would shake up and it would activate heat and it would last for whoever a couple hours. Is that like practical or overkill for Alaska in the summer? Um, I would say it's totally practical because it's not going to take up a lot of extra space. Right. So and the kids might find it kind of fun too, just the process of it. Um, the grownups probably would only need it on a glacier viewing day if you're kind of sitting still, but the kids might like it. I think it's a terrific idea. Awesome. I like that. I got a non Alaska, but yet Alaska related question for you. Okay. Shoot. Um, we're going to do a couple days in Seattle. What's your favorite things to do in Seattle? Oh my gosh. Seattle is so pretty. Um, one thing that took me by surprise when I was in Seattle is how good the food is. There's something about the Pacific Northwest and the freshness of the ingredients. They have all kinds of just amazing restaurants. So do get out there and dine. Of course, you've got to do the touristy stuff. You've got to do the space needle. Just walking around downtown is wonderful. Last minute shopping is really fun in Seattle too. Um, we stumbled upon that because we actually had a heat wave when we were in Seattle. It was 92 degrees on our pre-embarkation in May, which makes no sense. So we actually ended up having to go shopping to buy a pair of shorts. So I would check out the malls, do the space needle, do all the touristy stuff, get down by the waterfront and enjoy the restaurants. Awesome. I was looking forward to this. This is great stuff. And by the way, uh, be sure to check out our show notes at royalcommingblog.com. I'm going to be posting some video links that Sherry has done about packing for Alaska. There's a lot that Sherry has done on this topic and it's really, really helpful and uh, you get to get a chance to get even more in-depth information about packing because there's just a lot that goes into it. And as our cruise gets closer, I'm sure I'm going to be pinging Sherry. Like, Sherry, what about this? What about that? Is this the right thing to do? It's just going to be like prom again, except instead of asking Sherry, am I supposed to wear this? It's like, what do I pack for my cruise? But I'm, I know. I'm, we're excited for it. We're excited for it, but it's, it's, it's a new challenge. It is a new challenge. And the one thing I think that really always surprises people, too, about the Alaska cruises is that in a way, they're way more casual. So you're going to see a lot more people in jeans at dinner. You know, they will Mm. go from what they wore on shore, maybe go back to their stateroom, leave their jeans on, put a sweater on and go to dinner. And it's also partly because it's colder. But we saw a lot of that. We've seen a lot of that repeatedly on different cruise lines as well, that people really, they dress down a lot more. And I actually didn't expect that. And my husband on our last cruise kind of got a little more dressy for dinner. He's like, oh, I'm going to pack the bow tie and the vest. And he looked great on formal night, but it was kind of ironic that that was the one cruise when people were a little more, a little bit more mellow and laid back. Yeah. Well, this is really good stuff, Sherry. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us here. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, be sure to check out uh, Sherry's uh, channel cruisetipstv.com there you can find links to her youtube channel and everything that she does over all across social media really good stuff there i enjoy it. and thank you for uh for coming on the podcast again sherry thank you so much for having me it was a lot of fun it's time to dive into the royal caribbean blog virtual inbox and answer your royal caribbean questions we begin this episode with a question from james december who writes hello matt two quick questions for you we're going on a cruise out of miami over spring break when we return our flight doesn't leave until 10 30 p.m yes p.m i'm looking for a great day resort to spend the time before our flight any suggestions wow i don't know if i've ever gotten this question james about an all-inclusive resort or something to do a day pass kind of thing for in the United States here, uh, you're cruising out of obviously flying out of Miami. 
but if you don't mind, uh, there's actually one in Fort Lauderdale called the Atlantic Hotel and Spa. Now, I haven't stayed there. I haven't been there before, so full disclosure, I have no idea what I'm talking about. But based on reputation alone, I do know that the Atlantic Hotel and Spa in Fort Lauderdale, which is not too far away from Miami, offers some options for uh, day passes for guests who are, especially people who are looking for like embarkation, disembarkation days. Um, I'm looking on the website at the time of this recording, and I see that it's about $59 for adults, and I think kids are about $30 per child there. And it's just kind of what you think. It's a kind of a day pass kind of an idea where you can enjoy the amenities of the resort. Very easy to get to, and it's got, you know, beach, it's got pool. I think it'd be perfect for something for something that you're looking for to especially some place just to relax, because I think a lot of times people who, who are coming in and have time to kill either before or after their cruise are looking for, like, lots of stuff, but you... James, you know what? It's going to be after your cruise. You're going to be tired. You probably woke up early anyway to get off the ship. You know, you're going to want to relax a little bit, especially before your flight home. And I think that would be a great choice for you. James also wants to know, we'll be stopping in Cozumel. Which is better, Nachi Kokum or Mr. Sancho's? It'll be two adults and an 11-year-old girl. So, James, that's a really good question because a lot of people go back and forth with which one is quote-unquote better. It obviously depends on you and your family. Here's how I'm going to – I'm going to frame the the answer for you, and you're going to know the answer pretty quickly here. Nachi Kokum is a very laid-back type of resort, uh, all-inclusive day pass place. Uh, By the way, for those who aren't aware, I should probably also mention that Nachi Kokum and Mr. Sancho's are all-inclusive day pass places in Cozumel where you pay a certain price and then it's all inclusive. Your your food, your drinks, uh, and a lot of other activities are included. Nachi Kokum is relaxed. There's a pool, there's a beach, there's a, some hammocks, but there's not a whole lot else to do uh, in terms of like activities. There are there is third party that's over in Nachi Kokum that offers you know things like jet ski rentals or kayaks, but that's a third party and it's something kind of outside of the and it has an additional cost to it. Mr. Sancho's has. You know the the beach and the all, and all of them offer you know the food and drink or whatnot. But they offer a lot more stuff. They have an aqua park in Mr. Sancho's, which for reputation for a lot of families that are looking for a very adventurous kind of day, Mr. Sancho's is better for them. You know, if you want something where they can go climb up, you know, those inflatable whatevers and dive back into the ocean and do all those kinds of things, that's cool. If you're looking for just kind of a relaxing day, I'm not sure how your 11 year old girl is interested in. You know, if she just wants to hang out at the beach and. You know, just suntan or, or play in the sand or just go for a swim. Well, then Mr. Sancho's may be overkill for what you're looking to do. Certainly with Mr. Sancho's, you typically get also, you know, that, that different crowd than you get at Nachi. It kind of it all depends really on what you're looking for. Both are really great all-inclusive options right around the same price point. Easy to get to via taxi. So I don't know you can go wrong with either of them. It really just boils down to, in my opinion, what you're looking to do while in uh, those places and while you're at the beach. In addition to a lot of eating, a lot of drinking, and you know, and, and just enjoying the, the benefits of having an all-inclusive experience there. So, good question. Our next email to us comes to us from Perina, who says, Hi, Matt. I listened to all your conversations. It's a nice holiday. Be on board. Hope to see you one day on a cruise. Perina, thank you so much for the email. Love hearing from all of our listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Next email is from Sarah Ritz. I love your podcast. You do a great job. I was so excited to go on Oasis of the Seas, but I'm having a miserable trip. I was wondering if you have ever had a bad experience and have any recommendations on who to contact at Royal Caribbean to get some kind of resolution. Guest services on the ship seems like they couldn't care very less about it. I asked for a refund, and they told me there was something they could do while I'm on the cruise. I guess my options are only post-cruise. I last cruised the Royal Caribbean a little over 20 years ago, and it was a much different experience. I remember good service and the staff that cared. Oasis of the Seas is not the ship for me. 
Are there any other ships that don't feel like a floating infomercial for purses, diamonds, alcohol, and duty-free perfume? I feel like that I'm at a fraternity party for old people. I heard the phrase that cruising is for the newlywed and nearly dead. I didn't believe it when I first heard that statement, but after being on this cruise, I feel the statement is so true. Are all ships like this? Thanks for your help. I really appreciate the work you put in the podcast. I love listening to it. I just want to see if there's any advice you have for someone who has had a bad experience. Sarah, I'm so sorry to hear you had a bad experience, but thank you for sending this email because I think this is a really good topic to cover. And that is, yes, there is, I wouldn't let that stop you. A bad experience should not stop you from taking another cruise because I really do firmly believe, Sarah, that your experience is an outlier. And I think that you maybe realize something in your email that is important to bring out, which is that maybe that, you know, maybe at a ship like Oasis, while a ship that I really love going on and I sing the praises of constantly, may not be the kind of experience for you. One of the advantages that Royal Caribbean has is there's so many ships in their fleet, and that means a lot of different varied experiences. And if you're looking for a different, more, I don't want to even say the word laid back, but a, a more intimate experience in the, in the cruise vacation, perhaps a different ship in the fleet would be more up your alley. Certainly, if you're saying, Matt, I really didn't like Oasis because it's so large, it's a little, you know, you didn't you didn't feel the, the TLC that you maybe felt on other cruises, well, then I might suggest you go on a smaller ship that offers a more intimate cruising experience. This would come in the form of like a Radiance-class ship, a Vision-class ship. Heck, even the newly refurbished Empress of the Seas may even be up your alley. So perhaps that's what you should do. I would also say that since you're just, you've been on a couple of cruises, Sarah, maybe go for a shorter cruise just to see, you know, get get a, get a feel for the, the type of ship rather than the experience. You can always, you know, double down later on on longer sailings. Certainly, you've got, as I mentioned, Empress of the Seas does mostly short Shorter sailings, four and five night cruises, and you can go to Cuba, which is really nice. You've also got, you know, Brilliance of the Seas out of Tampa in the winter, offering four and five night sailings as well. You've got Majesty of the Seas out of Port Canaveral, at least in the short term, offering three and four night cruises. Enchantment of the Seas offering three and four night cruises. Uh, Majesty's in Port Canaveral, and Enchantment is down in Miami. So you've got some good choices out of the United States. I'm assuming you live in the United States, Sarah. <laughs> For all I know, you live in Europe, and this is, this advice is not very helpful. But um, I would tell you that maybe try one of those and get a feel for the ship more so than anything else. Because I think once you find what you like the most, that's going to really go for it. And like I said, uh, I want to go back to the other part of the question, which is if, it, if it's not going the way you want it to go, I do believe that you did – you at least went down the starting path, which is you know you need to go rectify these problems on board the ship. I feel like that's the number one thing. Now, you know, asking for a re- I'm not sure if you're asking for a refund on the whole cruise. I mean, they, they just wouldn't give you that. I'm sorry to say. But if you're looking for, you know, be more specific. I mean, the, the, what you don't want to do is go to guest services and tell them, you know, you hate this cruise. Nothing's going right. Give them something they can fix. Make it make it easier for them to make it easier for you. Help them help you help them help you. Right. What I mean by that is whatever. Figure out something that's bothering you at the moment. Some, an issue that you have. That's, that's contributing to your negative cruise experience. Whether it is, you know, uh, maybe you're not getting the kind of, I don't know, attention in the stateroom that you need. Like your state attendant isn't doing a good enough job or your waiter's not good. Whatever it is, be specific. Say, here is the problem. This is the issue that I'm running into. How do I fix this? You know, rather than, you know, go in there and ask them, how can we make this better? And provide them an opportunity to improve it. Some cases they can, some instances they may not be able to. I'd also suggest that if it is a personnel thing, like your state attendant or your waiter or whatever, talk to a manager there rather than guest services. Guest services is more for like, you know, uh, grandiose problems. Certainly, it's not a mistake to go there, but what I'm trying to say is it depends on the issue that you're kind of going with. And I wish you had a more specific uh, concern, Sarah, that I could kind of address for you. But I do believe you're doing the right thing by going on board the ship and trying to address it there because, you know, you don't want to be a 
in night two of a seven-night cruise, and something's going wrong, and just saying, well, I'm going to suck it up until the end of the cruise, and then contact Miami afterwards. That doesn't help you. You want to be able to, you're entitled to a great cruise experience, and there's still time to salvage it, right? So you're not doing the wrong thing there. I think what you want to do is, if you're on the cruise and there's a problem, try to get it addressed there. After the cruise, you can contact Royal Caribbean to see if there's, you know, let them voice your displeasure, certainly. Let them know about the issues and more on a higher level, kind of like how we're kind of talking about it here. But I want you to have a really good cruise experience. So again, get the issues taken care of on board. If you, after the cruise, make sure in the post-cruise survey, the like the last step is kind of an open-ended text box there. Type, that's when you give them the, here's, I didn't have a good cruise experience. Here were the problems that I ran into and list them out there. You should also be sure to mention anything that did go well. Maybe there was someone who tried to help you. And sometimes you know you've dealt, whether it's a cruise or retail or any company, you know, you, you deal with somebody who's a representative for that company and you know they're trying, but you know there's not there's only so much they can do from their perspective. But, you know, recognize people that are doing a good job for you. It's equal, you know, it's important to, re, to recognize those people who are doing a good job as well as the issues that are at hand. But let them know about that. A lot of times, I've heard many stories from people that do the post-cruise surveys. They'll get contacted by Royal Caribbean, usually by phone, sometimes by email, uh, to kind of follow up on, at least to let them know that they've been heard and kind of go from there. Um, so I think, you know, I don't think you're, you're going about the wrong way, Sarah. I think, again, I would I would get back on that horse and I would consider maybe a smaller ship to go on and see if you like that one a little bit more. Uh, I think that, you know, a cruise experience is overall really good. You know, we've had, I think we've all had our our fair share of not so great experiences. I mean, we were on, I was on a short excursion on in Jamaica in which we had an issue. This was a Royal Caribbean excursion and literally the bus that we took, <laughs> I don't know the person in the flames, went on fire. There was a fi- engine, we weren't on the bus. We were about to get on the bus and then the bus, they turned the bus on and it caught on fire. Okay. Not a great experience, right? I, we, you know, there you go. And so, but, you know, look, suffice to say, they got us another bus. We went on that bus. No fires on that bus. All good. You know, we've, I've, I've certainly dealt with, you know, not so great, uh, service with the expectations that I've, I've come to expect from that. And, you know, you have to, you have to roll with the punches. You have to be open. You have to just be understand that. Unfortunately, this is the nature of the service industry in general. And sometimes, while Royal Caribbean tries so incredibly hard to offer incredible experiences, you know, sometimes that doesn't always occur. So you have to be a little understanding, but you also have to be, you know, vocal in your displeasure. Because, you know, if you don't say something, they don't know necessarily something's wrong. The fire was probably a good indication that something was wrong, but not always, that's not always, you know, a glaring uh, case of that. So again, you need to follow up on that and talk to it. Other things you might want to consider, uh, and again, if you're if you're a Diamond member, or even any Royal Caribbean member for that matter, really doesn't matter which member, Gold for instance, talk to the loyalty ambassador on board. They may have a good opportunity for you to, to uh, provide options. As well, if you're staying in a suite, certainly talk to the concierge and they can help you there. Uh, these, are all, these are good resources for you to tap into while on board the ship, if nothing else, maybe they're a sounding board for you. Maybe they're they may be able to give you you know some some good options. Oh, you just need to talk to this person or that person. They can help fix it. Sometimes they even fix it themselves. But you know, get out there. And but the bottom line is sometimes you. I think the key is, and this is true of all vacations, by the way, whether you're talking about a cruise vacation, going on land, is you've got to be flexible with this and understand sometimes these things happen, but, you know, try to mitigate it as much as possible. Sometimes, look, sometimes bad things happen and someone needs to fix them. And that's why, you know, we talked earlier about making sure that you identify those and talk about them. 
and I wouldn't let your experience on Oasis necessarily uh, stop you from cruising altogether or even cruising with Royal Caribbean. I do believe that there's going to be another experience for you, and I, I have a hard time believing you wouldn't have even a, a much better time on uh, your second go-around there. So, uh, Sarah, uh, my fingers are crossed for you, and please feel free to reach out to me, Matt, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. If you have any follow-up questions, I'd love to help you out there. And I'm looking forward to hearing about your next cruise adventure, Sarah. And hopefully, again, fingers crossed, it's going to be a, an email telling me about all the great things you did on board and how much fun time you had there. So, thank you so much for the email, Sarah. We have for one more email, and that is going to be coming to us from uh, Troy, who writes, Troy Willardson, who writes, Matt, we're booking our very first cruise on Liberty this season in January for our family. My wife and I, uh, four kids, nine, seven, five, and three. First off, are we crazy for taking our kids on a cruise, especially not having cruised before? Uh, we, we feel like we got a really good deal on a promenade family stateroom, but we're worried about missing out on the balcony. I just listened to your latest podcast and heard you say that you would recommend first-time cruisers book a balcony. The problem is the cheapest connecting balconies are $3,000 more than what we spent on the promenade family stateroom. I'm having a hard time thinking that it's worth it, especially since we could book another cruise for all of us for that price. Our kids are still pretty little and don't take up, take up a ton of room. Our travel agent told us that the promenade family stateroom has about 320 plus square feet with bunk beds, a pull-out sofa sleeper, and a Royal King. Any advice is appreciated. We really enjoy your podcast and have been following, found the traveling with children's podcasts very helpful for first-time cruisers. Troy, you're not making a mistake at all. Don't worry. You're, in fact, your rationale is perfect. First and foremost, you're not crazy to take your kids on a cruise. That's one of the best things you can do. It's a fabulous family vacation. It is our family's go-to vacation, and I love bringing my kids on board. Sometimes we do cruise without them. But <laughs> that being said, I will tell you that it is the perfect family vacation for that, so you're not crazy for that. Second of all, I think your uh, your idea for going to the promenade family stateroom is a way better idea than the balcony. The balcony idea, again, you know, one of those general... One of the recommendations I make is a generalization. It's you know it's based on some all things being equal. But for in your situation, three thousand plus dollars, no way, dude. You're you're doing the right thing. That room is great, by the way. Those family staterooms are designed exactly for you, and I think you're doing the right thing by booking that. You know, one of the things we often recommend also for families, and you may have heard this in the other episode, is this idea that you can also book multiple rooms. So maybe you you already booked the room, and it's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But you may also consider booking in the future perhaps two smaller rooms. So instead of the balcony room, right, which will cost you whatever it costs you, booking two connecting or adjacent, uh, you know, uh, interior rooms. And the reason why you're doing that is because that gives you, first of all, an extra bathroom. I'm not, I don't think the Promenade Family Stadium has more than one bathroom, but it gives you another bathroom. So that's, that means an extra shower. When you're coming back from short excursions, that's really, really important. And also it gives you separation. Your kids sleep in a different room than you and you get to close the door. That's like awesome. So something to consider for next time, but I don't think you're making a mistake at all. And for $3,000 plus dollars, no, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump on that either. I think you're, that's like you said, that's another cruise. That's a ton of money to spend on your current sailing and still come back with more money in your pocket. You're not making a mistake there, Troy. I think you're on the right track. So let me know what, how your cruise goes and what you think of that family, uh, Promenade family stateroom because it sounds like an awesome time. I love, we did a, on, we were on our first cruise on Navigator this season. We did a family ocean view room which was really great and we only had one kid at the time but it was still great because it offered separation there was a little bunk bed area and basically we my wife and I were if we were in bed there was a divide there was a curtain divider and we were not within eyesight of the of the um of of the sleeping area for the kids the bunk bed so it was great because it provided my daughter an opportunity to sleep with with kind of a enclosed area and we could still like turn you know like we could have like our phones on or our iPads on and it not 
she wouldn't necessarily be woken up by. It was really, really great. So I don't think you're making a mistake there. It wasn't my favorite rooms we ever stayed in. I think you're going to like that a lot, Troy. So thank you for the email. Thank you to everybody for these wonderful emails. And if you're listening to this, I want to send in my email to be read on Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Well, I would love for that to happen. All you have to do is send me an email to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. I will answer it on the podcast. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.